thank you for the word. Amen. And amen it is, and you may be seated, please. I am going to reference with you the last book of the Old Testament, which would be Malachi. And I am in a few moments going to ask you to read or follow me as I read a portion from the third chapter. The last time I was in the pulpit to preach was two Sundays ago. We had a guest last Sunday. And when I filled the pulpit, it was the Sunday after the Saturday of Valentine's Day. And I preached that Sunday morning on marriage, covenant versus contract. Because I told you that one of the areas of emphasis this year in the ministry here at South Metro would be this thing of marriage. That God has spoken to my heart to preach on, teach on marriage. There's a class going on right now while you are in here on fireproofing your marriage. I told you that we would talk about men. We had a significant men's breakfast earlier last month, I think it was, or maybe the end of January. And Pastor Jeff and those on that leadership team are moving us into direction for men of God. And then I told you that money, money management, financial freedom is another of the themes that God has given me for this year. And so I am coming this morning to begin a series of lessons on living in the blessed zone. I am doing this because God wants His children to be blessed in every way. He's given us the greatest gift free of charge, salvation. But while we still live on planet earth and live in human flesh, there are challenges that will require blessing. I begin this series with this simple little illustration. All of us perhaps have been on family outings where you take your kids to the county fair, Six Flags Over Georgia, ball game. And we know that these events usually require additional money than what it costs to get in the place. Wouldn't it be great if we could just take them to Disney World and the ticket covers everything at the same price? Not more, anymore. But when you go into Disney World, Six Flags or the County Fair, you get a ticket, but then the food seems to be more than outside yonder. The drinks, the Cokes, and so directly your kids will hit you up with, Daddy, give me some money for some candy. And because you're a loving daddy, you'll hand them some money and they'll get you some candy. And let's say, for example, they go and get some M&M's. They go and get some M&M's and they tear that package open at M&M's. And they start walking around happy with the M&M's. Good M&M's. I haven't had any breakfast. I just had communion. And they make it look so good, those M&Ms. And you say to your child, can I have a few, honey? And they say, nope, these are mine, M&Ms. <laughs> and you think, excuse me? You're thinking, my child is really missing the big picture, isn't she? For example, she doesn't understand that if I want to, I could forcibly take these M&M's from her. Because I'm daddy, I'm macho, I'm big. Give me that M&M. Another thing she doesn't realize is that I actually bought them for her. She went to the stand and gave them the money, but it was my money that bought them their M&M's. And then another thing she don't understand is that I could buy her so many M&M's. I got money. I got my credit card. I, got, I could buy her so many M&M's until she wouldn't know what to do with the M&M's. She gets so sick, I could overwhelm her with it if I wanted to. Now, we get a little chuckle out of that, but the same realities apply to our lives as well. What do you mean, Pastor? I mean that God has given all of us here this morning some M&M's. 
Blessings, blessings. And sometimes he looks at you and me and says, I'd like to have some M&M's. Would you give me some M&M's? I just want a few M&M's back. But many of us defiantly say, no God, these are my M&M's. And all of a sudden, we kind of have to be brought along like the child that needed an understanding about the realities of life. And so occasionally God has to speak to us about the reality of life. And one of the realities of life is, if you will, if God wanted to, he could take all of our M&Ms, all of our many blessings from us. Because he's God. God is much stronger than you and I. How many know none of us can box with God and win? I don't care how much you weigh, how tall you are, and how much, uh, how much you lift. But none of us, if God wanted to, He could take away all of our blessings. We didn't bring ourselves into the world, and and we didn't get anything on our own abilities. God. Here's another reality. God is the one who gave us all the M&Ms in the first place. I know you got a car. I know you have a house. I know you have a job. I know you have a degree. Some of you have a degree. I know you're good in sales. I know you're good in investment. I know you have a sharp mind. I, I know that you have talents and gifts and abilities. But brothers and sisters, God gave all of that to us. God, yes, he, He's given us stuff we can't buy. Like seeing in our eyes and feeling in our touch. Who can put a value on that? And walking in our legs. God's given us all that. And beating in our hearts. And, and so the fact of the matter is, no, all of it comes from God. Here's a third reality of life, if you will, please. If God wanted to, He could rain so many M&Ms, so many blessings on our lives that we wouldn't know what to do with it at all. Because He's got it all. And here's the plan. It is God's plan to bless us in ways that we cannot count and to put us in the blessed zone because He loves us. I need to give you a definition. Living in the blessed zone can be described as the sweet spot of God's success. It is the blessed place where God wants all of us to live. This morning, and in this series of sermons in this month of March, I want to show you some things. And this, one of the things I want to show you is that God has given each of us a certain amount of resources, M&Ms. And what we do with these resources relate directly to whether we live in the blessed zone or whether we live out of the blessed zone. What we do with all the blessings, all the M&Ms, all the talents, all the abilities, all the money we have dictates whether we are blessed or not blessed. A golfer will usually say, man, I'm in the zone after he has gone from one hole to the next on the golf course and either parred them or birdied them. Man, you, you play golf with somebody who's in the zone and, and they say something like, man, I found a sweet spot on my driver because all my drives are going straight. <laughs> my, my, my daughter at one time gave me a, a card on Father's Day that said, uh, Dad, uh, I would have bought you some golf, long-distance golf balls, but I didn't want you to have to go further in the woods than you're already going after your golf ball. Boy, when you were in the zone as a golfer, and, and, and I'm glad Tiger Wood is back, but it'll take him a little bit, but he'll get in the zone again. If you are in sales, if you are in sales, and man, you go to this house or this business, or you make this call, and you make this sale and that sale, and, and everybody's responding good, you are in the zone. Can I get an amen here? Uh, what I'm saying is that we all, I mean, if you have a business and, and you've got customers and they're coming and things are going good, you consider yourself in the zone. God has what he calls the blessed zone for all of us. Yeah. Now, now let me show you. One of the very tangible aspects of God's blessing is the fact that each of us have stuff. Everybody here has stuff. Yeah. Everybody here has something. Money. Now, we we all, we all have M&M's, blessings. Some folks are so blessed and so gifted by, uh, in their own abilities that God has given them that they have uh, huge piles of M&M's, blessings. Some folks have medium-sized piles of M&M's. Other people have maybe a small pile of M&M's. But no matter how big our pile of M&M's is, look at this. Our management of what God has entrusted to us has a tremendous impact implications on whether or not we are living in the blessed zone. Let me have you observe this. Money management. 
when we think we are the owners of our stuff, then we are out of the zone. However, when we realize that we are the managers and God truly owns it all, then we get into receiving what God has intended for us to receive by being in the blessed zone. We are not owners. Huh. We brought nothing in this world and we are not going to take anything out. Matter of fact, you are not even going to take your own self out. You're going to have to depend for somebody to take you someplace so you can be properly dressed and attired at a funeral home. You're going to have to depend on somebody else to take you to the church or the chapel and somebody speak some nice stuff over you and somebody put you in the ground or wherever else you're going to be because we didn't bring anything out and we're not taking anything out with us, okay? We didn't bring it in and not taking it out. We are all managers. God has given us all these blessings and He says, the better your ability to manage your M&Ms, the better blessed you are going to be. Let, let me show you. Whether you know it or not, money management has much to do with living in the sweet zone of God. Yes. The reason we talk about money management is because this. You want to write this down. Money represents who we are. Yes, it does. We may not wave it around, but money represents who we are. Because with that money, we dress the clothes we dress. With that money, we live in the house we live in. With that money, we drive the car we drive. With that money, we, we go to the places we do. If you could see my checkbook and I could see yours, then it would represent who we really are. Help me out here. If I could see your, uh, uh, your credit card statement and you could see mine, it would show who we really are. I wish somebody would say, Amen, oh, oh, me. We spend a lot of time in this life making money, spending money, investing money, saving money, and for some of you, wasting money. Here's the question. The question for everybody is this. Does your money manage you or do you manage your money? Here's another way to ask that question. Are you who you are because of what you have? Or do you have what you have because of who you are? Same thing. Because money represents so much of our lives, it determines in a huge way whether we are living in the blessed zone or we're just simply zoned out. And what I'm speaking about here this morning in this series of message is not so much about giving to the church as I am about talking about actually honoring God. Let me give you scripture. Proverbs says in Proverbs 3 and 9, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. And what we need to be about in this business of living in the blessed zone is not so much of giving to see how much we can get back, but our priority should be how that in every area of our life, and especially our finances, how we can also honor God. Because those who honor God will not be lightly esteemed. So, I need to ask you again. What is your money saying about your life? You see, what you do with your money is directly related to how many blessings you will or will not receive in life. Get this. I want you to get this. You may have heard it before, but the Holy Spirit impacted this thought again in my mind, and I need to share it with you. God doesn't need your money as much as you need to give it because you need His favor and blessings. God has somehow connected His favor and blessing to all of us through this channel of obedience. You ought to say amen. God has somehow connected the blessing for your marriage, for your body, for your mind, for your job, for your children, for all areas of your life through this area of management and stewardship of what He's given to you. See, God don't need your money or my money because the Bible says God has it all. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills and He owns the sweet potatoes under the hills and the golds in those hills and the silver and He owns everything else. God is not going to be broke if you and I don't give Him money, but you and I are going to fail to be blessed if we don't follow God's plan of living in the blessed zone. I need to give because I need to be blessed. Okay, let's think about this. Nowhere is this even more true about money management and how we handle it than this area of the tithe. So, the word tithe simply means one-tenth or ten percent. When the word tithe is used in the Bible, it refers to bringing the first ten percent of our income or our gain back to God. You have turned to Malachi 3, and it's now that I will direct your attention to verse number 10. Are you there? Say amen. 
bring all the tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour, oil, I pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Stay with me here and I'm going to give you some teaching. I like shouting too, but I like some solid stuff you can live on when you get in your car. The principle of tithing goes all the way back to the beginning of creation. Let, let me show you what I mean. In Genesis 2 and 15, God told Adam and Eve to take care of the Garden of Eden and manage it. They were not to own it. They were to manage it. Then in verse 17 of Genesis 2, the Lord says, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. Meaning, this one tree I'm going to keep for myself, God says. You can enjoy the rest of paradise and all the other fruit trees, but this one is mine. Leave it alone. Let me show you something else. When God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh day, he set an example for us. He said, work six days, but on the seventh day, rest set aside one day for me. Isn't that one of the Ten Commandments? Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy, Exodus 20 and 8. The principle of first fruits and tithing. Let me show you something else. When Israel entered the promised land after coming out of Egyptian captivity for hundreds of years, they were to conquer ten cities initially. But God said to them, all the spoils from the first city you conquer belongs to me. Bring me all the gold, bring me all the silver, bring me everything of valuable from the first of the ten cities, and then I'll take care of you beyond that. So what I've just shown you there are biblical examples of setting aside the best for God. God gave us His best, Jesus Christ. <laughs> now, now let, me show you, let me show you something that the Holy Spirit taught me a little bit more of this week than what I already knew and instructed me to bless you with this. Sometimes blessings... Uh, are initially disguised as not so ble much blessing. Okay, you know I have a clue, right? Let me help myself. I have the ability of confusing people. Like you go to the doctor, okay? And he says, now, Pastor Jeff, I'm going to give you this shot. It's going to hurt a little bit, but later on you'll feel better. Well, initially, you know, Pastor Jeff, you're not even too fond about that. But for the future blessing, you'll take the shot. I'm saying to you now, in these economic difficult times uh, and in the principle of God's Word, uh, He'll call us initially to make some sacrifices uh, in order to receive the blessed zone. Let me, show, let, me, let me show you what I mean. This is the thing of the principle of first fruits. You might have heard of it. And let me just remind you or let me teach you a little bit as the Holy Spirit taught me. In order to understand the concept of the tithe within the framework of Scripture, you have to look at the principles of firstborn and first fruits. In Exodus 13 and 2, Scripture says this, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it is mine. Let me teach you now. God says in this area of firstborn that the firstborn belongs to him. Sixteen times in the Bible, God says the firstborn is his. So what does that mean? It meant in the Old Testament because people's livelihood was sustained by an agricultural economy. Okay? They didn't have factories and plants and uh, other kinds of places like we do today where we don't have to work as farmers and and uh, in other areas of the agriculture. So here's what would happen. Every time someone's livestock delivered its firstborn, they were either to sacrifice it to God, or if that firstborn of the livestock was unclean, they had to redeem it with a clean, spotless lamb. When the firstborn lamb came into the world, you didn't wait until your, you produced nine more lambs and give the next one to God. God says, give me the first one. Why? Here's why. The first portion is packed with power. 
It's called the firstborn or first fruits. When the first portion is brought back to God, the rest is blessed. Oh, help me, Jesus. In today's world, since we're not so much an agricultural economy, we are called as Christians to bring the tithe or the first fruits of our labor in the same way. We are to bring it before we see the blessings of God. We are to bring the first 10% of our paycheck called the tithe to the house of God in faith, knowing and saying to God, I'm going to bring it to you first, God, and trust you to bless the rest I have. I'm going to bring you the best of my corn and my potatoes like the agricultural economy was, or my sheep or my cattle. I'm going to bring you the, the first of it, trusting that you will bless my vegetation and my livestock, and I'll have more. And God says, the first portion is packed with power. You know, that's what we're doing here this morning in church, giving him the first portion. You know that this is the first day of the week. Since the resurrection of Jesus Christ on what was Sunday, the church began to worship on Sunday because it was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And here you are, you're giving the first portion of your week, your time. What is true with money is also true with time. If you give the first fruits of your time to God on Sunday, the rest of the week will flow together. Great. So here you are today, there's 168 hours in the week, and you'll be here for an hour and a half, maybe two hours or so, and you're going to go to work then tomorrow and the rest of the week. But because you've given the first portion of your week, you said, I may be tired, I don't feel well, it's raining, it may snow, I can stay home and pull up under the covers. But you said, you know what? God has given me everything I've got. He deserves the first portion of my time. Here it is. The rest of the week is going to go great. Yeah. You know what I found out in my personal devotions? I found that I have more effective personal devotions when I do it in the morning, the first thing after I get up, than waiting later on in the day. Now, in the morning, sometimes it's a challenge for me to have personal devotions because I'm still kind of sleepy, so I've got to wash my face and get out of the bed and go in another room and, and distract myself with bright lights or something. But you know what I found out? If I don't give God the first portion of my day and think I'll do it at lunchtime, the devil finds something else for me to do most of the time. And sometimes it's not a bad thing. It may be a good thing. It's not a sinful thing, but it takes away from the time I was going to give to God. And I say, well, when I go home, before I go to bed, I'll give that portion of time. The next thing you know, I mean well, before I go to bed, I sit down on a chair somewhere and fall asleep. And God wakes me up and says, by the way, are you talking to me, Alan? I, I submit to you that you should, you should start off your day with the best part of your day with prayer and reading the Bible and then get in that car and be blessed. Look at Exodus 23 and 19. The first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. Here's another thought. Bring it to the proper place. Everybody say proper place. Malachi 3 and 10 tells us where the proper place is. Bring all the tithe into the storehouse. The storehouse is the local church. In the Old Testament, the storehouse was the tabernacle. And then when Israel moved into their permanent place of dwelling, it became the temple. And then in the New Testament, the New Covenant, after the day of Pentecost, the storehouse, when the church was born on the day of Pentecost, the storehouse became the church. God's heart is fixed on the church. The church is God's idea. The church is not perfect. Help me out here, somebody. There are imperfect leaders and imperfect uh, people, but God's heart, His affection is tied to the church. And God says, what is valuable to me should be valuable to you. Bring all the tithe into the storehouse. The tithe does not belong to a Christian school. I believe in Christian school. And if God wants us to have one here, we are open to that. The tithe does not belong to your favorite missionary or parachurch organization. The 10% belongs in the storehouse. If you want to give to a missionary, if you want to give to another a ministry, if you want to give to, to, to TBN and all those other guys, you give that above the tithe, having already given your tithe to the local storehouse. The storehouse is a place where we dedicate your babies. 
The storehouse is a place where we have funerals for your loved ones. The storehouse is a place you call when somebody is in intensive care and it looks like they're not going to make it. Like last night when somebody called me from St. Joseph's Hospital and said my wife or my friend's blood, and it wasn't somebody's wife, but a friend called and said that her blood pressure is running low and she's having hemorrhage. She had major surgery. These are wonderful people. Pastor, could you pray? And I prayed. My wife prayed. And before I went to bed, they called me back and they said the blood pressure is rising. The, the hemorrhage is stopping. The storehouse is where you get blessed. Yeah. The storehouse is where we solemnize the right to marriage. The storehouse is where we train your children in the nursery and on Wednesday night. The storehouse is where people minister in the choir, play the instruments. The storehouse is where we have a place for you to come in where it's dry and comfortable, where we build churches around the world. I believe in missions. Right now while you're sitting here, because of your offerings, we're building a church in Grenada. When in 2004, Hurricane Ivan totally devastated that church and 90% of that little island. And we are helping Marcus Christopher and his beautiful wife, Judith, build their church. Right now, while you're sitting here, I believe in all this. We, we, we are helping, we are supporting an orphanage in Bangalore, India, and a Christian school. While you sit right here, we are supporting missionaries this morning in Thailand, the Philippines, missionaries in Africa. While you sit right here, we, we believe in all that. But that's over and above the tithe. So people, you know, we don't have the right, according to Scripture, to say, well, you know what? I'll give 5% to the missionary, and I'll give 2% to the Christian school, and the rest I'll give to God. No, 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 no. That's not the tithe. That's your offerings. You give above the, the tithe belongs in the storehouse. Oh, Jesus. Uh, you know, I, I know. I, I know that the church is imperfect. I am answerable. Man, this is really good outside. I'm seeing through that. Wow. Hurry up and shut up, Pastor. No, no, this is a blessing. I just saw through that. I'm from the Caribbean. I love snow. But only after I preach and go home and turn on the fire. Now, Pastor Jeff, where was I before I interrupted the Holy Ghost? Yeah, we, we did all this. All this. Yeah, churches are imperfect, okay? And I know you, Pastor Allen, Pastor Jeff, the staff, the elders, they really don't know where to take my money. I don't like the way the music is. I don't like the children's ministry. I don't like so-and-so about that church. Well, I just think I'll come over there and not tithe or spend it someplace else. Why don't you have Christ? I'm in an organization called the Church of God that's worldwide, 8 million members. I have a state office I answer to. I'm on a committee called the State Council, elected there by my peers with 11 other guys, and I get a financial statement every month from my bishop because I'm on the accounting committee, accountable committee, not accounting. And, and I don't, may not like everything they're doing there. General Headquarters, Cleveland, Tennessee, we have schools and, and all. I may not like everything they're doing, but my call is to do the 10%. I, 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 my, my call is, if I don't like it the way Pastor Jeff is doing it or Pastor Allen's doing it, then pray for Pastor Jeff and pray for Pastor Allen. But it's not my call to take God's money and send it someplace else or do something else with it or hold it for my own blessing. Give me the next bullet, please. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of your increase so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. I'm talking about the blessed zone. Now, you don't have to go to barns to get your food, and you don't have to go to vats to get something to drink, but you don't have to go to Publix and Kroger's. Can I get an amen here? You don't, you'd like to be able to go in your cupboard today and get something out of your cupboard, or your freezer and get something out. You'd like to pull up to Kroger or to Flash Food and fill up your gas, your car with gasoline. That's what the Lord says. When you bring the first fruit of your possession, you'll have possession, and you'll only, not only be blessed monetarily, you'll bless, be blessed emotionally, psychologically, maritally, and in every other way. Oh, yes. I want the first portion, God says. The last part of, your, uh, of it doesn't, doesn't get blessed. After you pay all your bills, after you see what you have left over, then I'll give to God. God says, that's not the principle. Trust me. And it's corsome. Let me tell you something. Before you get corn in the summertime, if you like corn, then what's going to happen is you're going to have to put some seed in the ground for you to get corn in the summer. Before, before the rest of the, before the whole harvest comes, you're going to have to put some, uh, some uh, 
habanero little sapling plants in the ground before you start getting your harvest. What I'm saying is, if you expect a harvest in the natural later on, you got to sow some seed. If you expect to be living in the blessed zone later on, you've got to bring the first fruits. Somebody bring me a hundred dollars. Good man. $100. Thank you. You know why he bought me that $100? Because I asked him for it. Yeah. You know why else? Because before I came up here, I gave it to him. I said, this is my 100 bucks. I want it back. <laughs> I, I like Eddie and Jatoma, and they like me, but this is my 100 bucks. <laughs> For illustration. Yeah, my 100 But I, I'm making a point by telling you that God says, somebody give me my tithe. And he hurries up here and gives it because God gave it to me anyhow. He gave it back to me because I gave it to him. But the principle goes beyond that. God says, the hundred, everything I give you, I'm asking you for 10%. This is a $10 bill. And this is a hundred dollar bill. God says, do you want to live your life risking, taking a chance, living under a curse, but keeping all of the money, all of the blessings, and not giving anything to God? Do you want to risk keeping your 100% and living out of the blessed zone? Or would you rather give God 10% than $10 and have 90% left over that's blessed and not cursed? You can go ahead and say amen. Because that's, that's the whole principle. Move, move it to the next, next slide, if you will. Okay? Let me show you this. There's a classic story in the book of Joshua about the walls of Jericho and the, the battle of Jericho. You know how God instructed, it was the first city to be taken in the promised land. And God said to Joshua, march around the wall six days, one time each day on the seventh day, seven times. The walls were thick, they were large, they were impenetrable, and Israel were not known for their military might. They were desert wanderers. They didn't have armor and weapons and cannons and all that stuff. And so, he was following God's plan. But God says, I want everything in Jericho. Everything in Jericho. Gold, silver, everything. All of it belongs to me. It's the first of the blessings I'm going to give you. Give me the top. Don't go conquer ten cities and then choose one you want to give me. Give me the top. There's a part of that story, however, that you may not remember. There's a man by the name of Achan who was an Israelite, who was instructed along with all the other Israelites, don't touch anything in Jericho of value for yourself. Pick it up and bring it to God. Bring it to the tabernacle. God's going to give us this victory. We won't even have to shoot an arrow or raise a sword. God's going to give us this victory. And did God do it? Did the walls come tumbling down when they marched around seven times? Blew? Did God do it? And the people of Israel went in there and they got so much. And Achan disrespected God. He said, I know what Joshua said about giving all the valuables to God, but they ain't going to miss it. God ain't going to miss this. Took a little gold, hid it in his robe. Took some shekels of silver, hid it in his robe. Saw a nice Calvin Klein designer clothes outfit. He thought, I'm a good jacket, man. Okay, okay, that's fleshy, but it's still the idea. He took a Babylonian garment hit it, and he went back to his tent. Nobody saw him. You know, there's something about nobody seeing you in the natural, but somebody's seeing you all the time. You can, expe you can escape the eyes of your mama, your daddy, your wife, your husband, or your pastor, but there's an all-seeing eye watching you. And he blesses when you obey, and curses come when we disobey. Well, well, Achan, he went back to his tent, and he unloaded. He dug a hole in the ground, he unloaded the gold, the silver, and the garment. And he wrapped up the garment real good, put it in the dirt, covered the dirt, put a, a mat over it, sat down there, and act like nothing's wrong. But when Israel went to fight the next city that they were supposed to take in the snap of a finger, something real easy battle for them, 33 Israelite men died because one man disrespected God. Hear me, somebody. And, and Joshua became troubled. Oh, God, did you bring us here to kill us? God said, no, 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 no. There's a thief in the camp. He was found out, and God had him killed outside the camp. I'm hurrying. Listen, listen to me. You notice this about God. The consecrated things of God are blessed. The tithe. When 
we give it to God, it's consecrated, it's holy, it's wonderful, it's blessed. But when we keep it for ourselves, it becomes cursed. Just like, just like if Achan had taken the gold, the silver, and the garment and given it to God, it would have been consecrated. But he kept it for himself and he brought a curse on himself. See, here's what I want you to see. Look at this. The tithe, which is 10%, is consecrated to the Lord and the Lord's house because it is His. But if we take it for ourselves, it becomes cursed because it is stolen. And when we do that, you're not stealing from Pastor Alan Matura or South Metro Ministries. You're stealing from God. Listen to me. Where'd you get that idea anyhow, Pastor? From the Bible. Put it, put it on the screen. Are you in Malachi? Malachi 3, 8 and 9. Look, everybody, on the screen or in your Bible. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, God says, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Listen to me. I've been pastoring this month 24 years, the same church, and I'm happy to do that. But I've learned a lot of things as a pastor that I could have only learned by God teaching me. I found that about people and individuals who will rob God, they will commit other sins also. I have found out people who will rob God will commit adultery, fornication, lie, rob their company, lie against their spouse. Because if you, if you conscience could allow you to rob God, then everything else is downhill from there. I'm not trying to be unkind. I'm trying to be an instructor and teacher. Now, let me wrap it up with, with this kind of thing, okay? Uh, Hear this. Somebody's sitting here thinking that tithing was under the law, the law of Moses, so I don't have to do it because now we are under grace. And I respect you, sir or ma'am, if you're thinking that, but you are wrong as the day is long because you don't know your Bible. This thing of tithing existed long before the law of Moses, not just under the law of Moses. Let me show you. Let me show you hurriedly. Did Abraham live before Moses, if you know anything about genealogy? Did he? Yes, he did. When Abraham's firstborn came to him, I'm talking about the son of the promise, not Ishmael, but Isaac. His affection began to change some from all the great promises God made to the firstborn. Long about the time that Ishmael was about 10, 11 years old, God says, take him to a place I'm going to show you. Three days journey from this camp you're living in. Put him on the mountain. Kill him. Does God condone human sacrifice? No. But God was testing Abraham because his affection changed. See, when you ain't got nothing, it's hard to have affection to it. Help me preach here. When you got ten, ain't too, hey, hey, not too much affection. But when you got a hundred, you're thinking, oh, some more of that. Abraham thought, his love and affection was drawn now more to Isaac. That He was drawn more to the blessing than the blessor. You all are hearing me, aren't you? And, when, and so whenever God sees us drawn more to the blessing than the blessor, he's going to put some tests on us. Kill your son. God saw that Abraham's heart was pure as can be. Because by the time Abraham gets to that place and ties up his son and gets ready to kill him, God stops him and provides another sacrifice and says, Now I know, Abraham, that you are obedient with first fruits. Let me show you something else. Abraham, coming back from battle, defeating quite a number of kings, gave tithe on his way back to the high priest Melchizedek. Isn't that what the Bible says? That's before the law. Okay? And just as Abraham gave a tenth to Melchizedek, in the book of Hebrews we are told that Jesus Christ is of the high priestly office and order of a Melchizedek, and we are to bring our tithe. Let me, let me hurry. Let me show you something else. Did, the, did Cain and Abel exist before the law and before Moses in the Old Testament? Yes, they did. Cain and Abel were the two sons of Adam and Eve. Abel's sacrifice, God accepted. But Cain's sacrifice and offering, God rejected. You know why God rejected Cain's offering? Because he did not bring the first fruits or the best. He was a farmer. And every once in a while, he'd bring a little fruit, a little orange, a little potatoes, a little, little onions, a little whatever. And whenever he, whenever he chose out the best produce from the field, he'll give God whatever else he wanted to. But you know what Abel did? Abel took the firstborn of his, of his livestock, the firstborn before any more came, 
And he said, God, you gave me everything. I'm giving you my best. And God received his offering and rejected Cain. And Cain became the first murderer. Because if you can steal from God, you can do some other stuff. I, I'm not trying to get into this. I, so, so let me say this to you. Okay. In the old covenant, it said, thou shalt not kill. We're now under grace. Is it okay to kill? No-brainer, isn't it? Huh? I mean, we're, we're, we're under grace now. So if somebody cuts me off on 285, I'll just take a gun and shoot them because now I'm under grace. No, you'll be under lock and key for the rest of your life. In the old covenant, it says, thou shalt not commit adultery. Does God commit adultery now? I beg to differ. He does not. Because Jesus, in the new covenant of grace, took us to a higher standard than the old covenant of law. Let me show you what I mean. In the old covenant, he said, thou shalt not commit murder. In the new covenant, he said, if you have envy or jealousy or a grudge in your heart against your brother or sister, it's like if you already killed them. It's sin. In the old covenant, he said, thou shalt not commit adultery. In the new covenant, he says, if you look on a man or woman with lustful thoughts, you've committed adultery in your heart and you've sinned. He took us to a higher standard. Therefore, if the principle of tithing was strong in the Old Testament, under grace, we ought to give more than our tithe because we've been blessed more than the Old Covenant. Somebody ought to praise the Lord. So, here's the conclusion of the matter. If I tithe and give, I'm blessed. If I don't, I'm cursed. Very simple decision. Blessing or cursing. You make the call. Do you want to live in the blessed zone? Or do you want to live out of God's favor? Bring the first and the rest will be blessed. I, listen, I know I can. Sometimes when I'm preaching is when I get content. And I'm not trying to just keep you long, but here's a little bit of content I just got. Somebody here is thinking the nerve of that bald-headed short Indian. Call me what you want to. Just don't do it to my face because I might... I might, I might get hurt. Uh, this is economically, these are economically depressing times. People are losing their jobs. Companies are laying off people. Everybody wants a bailout. And this pastor is rising up in a sermon series in 2009 to preach about tithing and offering when I need all the help I can get. I can't believe what somebody's thinking. And let me tell you something. There was a widow woman in the middle of a famine. A famine. She only had one more meal left of ingredients. I mean, the famine was so severe, Elisha came to her and said, fix me something to eat. She said, I beg you, I re with all respect, Mr. Prophet Elijah, I got a little bit of meal in my meal jar and a little bit of oil in my, in my cruise of oil. I'm, gathering, I'm out now gathering sticks and twigs to make a fire and make me... A biscuit for me and my son. After that, no more. We're dead. Because the land's dried up. Everything is like a dust bowl. It's been a famine. The cattle that are alive and the sheep that are alive, you could see their diaphragm because there's nothing to eat. The water in the streams and the river dried up. This famine's been going on for years. It may go on further. How dare you, man of God, she could have said. How dare you, man of God, in the middle of an economic depression, famine, and I'm about to eat my last meal. You ask me to give you, the man of God, something. He said, if you'll give me first, the rest will be blessed. She did. She did, she did, she did. What could she lose? And every time... She went back to the meal jar, there was just enough. Every time she went back to the oil, there was just enough. Every time she needed some tweaks to make a fire, there was enough. And she had breakfast and dinner and lunch until the famine was over. Because if you'll give God the first, the rest will be blessed. Come on, come on. Put, this, put it on the screen for me. Put the verse on the screen. You got any more? I need some ushers, do I? Come on up, brethren. Come on, ushers. I'm receiving the offering now because this is worship like everything else we do. It ain't supposed to be undercover. I'm not talking about we have to show everybody what we give, but this is as much worship. The Bible says, everybody read on the count of three from the screen with me. Everybody look on the screen on the count of three. One, two, three. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, and shaken together and running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with of, it shall be measured to you 
<laughs> oh, this is such this is such a powerful truth. Listen to me. I, I didn't start tithing and giving when I became a pastor because I know it's in the Bible. My mother and dad on the small island of Trinidad taught me when I got my first 25 cents. I remember when I got my first 25 cents from my uncle, they said tithe. I have, listen, Valerie and I have been tithing in all of our lives. Listen to me. Listen to me, okay? I'm not no television preacher trying to get you to, to rake in money here to give to me, okay? You see this suit I wear? The car I drive or the house I live in? God gave it to me. You see the daughters I have and son-in-laws I have and the health we have in our body? God gave it to us. You see that I get the privilege to pastor this church? God gave it to me. And it's all because I've learned the first belongs to Him. The best belongs to Him. Man, you talk about M&M's. M&M's all over the place. It's the last service. That's why I could do that. M&M's out there in front of you guys. I think I'll hit one of you with one of these M&M's. Look out. But it's going to take more than M&M's to live, isn't it? Bow with me. Church, as we pray, I'm going to say something to you here that will reveal the blessed zone and the not blessed zone. Statistics in the churches in America tell us this. Of all the people that will go to church in America today or go every Sunday, only 21% tithe. Only 21% live in the blessed zone. 79% live out of the zone. In jeopardy of the disfavor of God, I want you to be blessed. I'm not taking up any different offering than I would have taken up before I preached. But in order to release your blessings... I want you to release what belongs to God. Say, Pastor, I can obey in a lot of, whole lot of other areas a lot easier than I can in this area. God will give you His grace to obey. Father, we bring our gifts and offerings this morning. And I say ours, but I'm wrong. It's really yours. All of it belongs to you. God, we submit these today. And some of people here might be like that widow. They don't know where the next meal is coming from or the next tank of gas is coming from or the next mortgage payment, rent. But like that widow, if you said do it, they're not going to take the holy thing and keep it to themselves. They're going to release it to you. There are some people fighting this. And God, I don't want to mean, be mean when I pray like this, but the only ones who would resist this message and get upset by it, the only ones who would get upset by this message this morning would be those who are not here because they don't know you're doing it. So even I pray, tender their heart to this today, to trust God, and to give because you have given. Amen. Go ahead, ushers, if you will, and serve the church. And we're going to receive from Him because we have given. Once the plate has passed you, or come and come and stand. Give him some times and meaningful praise. You are on your own. You are God alone. You're unchangeable. You're unshakable. You're unstoppable. That's what you are. You're unchangeable. Say it, say it because he is. You're unstoppable. That's what you are. Now here's what the Holy Spirit would have us do before we leave. Now that you have given your first fruits, the door is open 
He said, see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there will not be room enough to contain. He said in the same Malachi, go home and read the rest of it, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. He said, I'll bless you in going in and coming out. Now you have opened that door. But here's the thing about God. He doesn't just bless you or me to keep it to ourselves. He blesses it to flow through us to somebody else. I want you to flow in your blessings by touching somebody on the shoulder, on beside of you or near you or joining hands with them, whatever is most comfortable for you. I want you to lay your hands or join hands with them and pray a blessing over them. Pastor, I don't know how to pray. Yes, you do. I'll help you. What blessing you need, it may be what they need. Pray that. Pray blessings on their money, on their marriage. Come on. Oh, Jesus, heal their bodies. Hallelujah. Heal their mind. They may need a financial miracle. They may need a car payment. They may need a car. They may need an apartment. They may need a house. God, they, they, they may just, they, they may be praying for, they're single and they're praying for the right spouse. Help them. God, Lord Jesus, they, somebody they know is not saved. Somebody may be addicted to drugs or alcohol or pornography or uh, somebody may be living a sexually impure life that they know and care about. Use them to witness to them of the saving grace of Jesus. Bless them, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Come on, release your blessing. God, I thank you that I don't have to be a clogged up uh, pond. I can be a reservoir letting water go out. I don't have to be the Dead Sea. I can be the Sea of Galilee. I release the blessings in me to the blessings of those around me because when I give it away, it makes room for more. Heal them and bless them in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And let everybody say amen. Now give the Lord a good, wonderful hand clap of praise. Amen. Amen and amen. Thank you, Jesus. I'll see you on the slopes. Have a great day. Love you.